Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. And welcome to another episode of Political Pursuits, the podcast. I am your host, Lou Ann Anderson, and I am delighted that you are here with me today. Political Pursuits, the podcast, just to kind of give you a little, a little rundown on that, you know, we basically look to be a curator of different political news and events, and we do it, though, with an eye for not just who is making the certain moves that we see being made across our political landscape, but also we're looking at what the moves mean, why they matter, and how an opponent might react. Because in the big scheme of things, politics, a lot of the things happening in our world, they're nothing but a big game. And you got players, and you got good players, and you got bad players. You got players who follow the rules. You got players who are cheaters. And so we're kind of taking that tactic when we look at different things going on in our world today. And oh my gosh, there is plenty, plenty, plenty to talk about. Before we get started, though, let me remind you that Political Pursuits is like us on our Facebook page. That's at Political Peace suits same for twitter at political p suits we're also available on most podcasting uh, platforms that includes apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, Podchaser, podcast addict Castbox, and deezer also if you hear something along the way in the podcast that we're talking about today got a question got a comment please email me at political pod at gmail.com now with all of that out of the way oh the big news today i guess is this bill that just passed the senate last night the two trillion dollar relief bill lots of different people have different opinions about it some are calling it a stimulus but you know if you think about the fact that two weeks ago three weeks ago we had a pretty good economy going one of the best that we've seen in years and so stimulus really in the appropriate word I like it there's other people that you know talk about it being an aid package or a relief package because so many people that will hopefully benefit from this people and companies are people who are suffering from dire financial straits right now not because of their poor decisions irresponsibility or anything like that it's just we have our world facing a challenge with this communist party virus that came out of china and it's just it's unprecedented and so some kinds of measures need to be taken now with this bill and remember this is just so far it's gone by the senate it's going to the house tomorrow i believe Nancy Pelosi is signaling that, oh, she's all in for it, but we've heard that story before, so um, I kind of hear her words saying that and picture Lucy holding that football there in front of Charlie Brown, getting it, rowing him to kick on it, so um, we will see what happens there, but this bill, it's got some good, it's got some bad. Uh, one of the big components is that it gives one-time direct payments for up to $1,200 for individuals, $2,400 for couples, with $500 added for every child based on 2019 tax returns for those who filed them and 2018 information if they have not. The benefit does have some caps on it. starts to phase out above uh, $75,000 for income with individuals, $150,000 for couples filing jointly, and then it goes away completely at the ninety-nine dollars and $198,000 thresholds respectively. It also does some things boosting unemployment insurance, adding $600 per week for up to four months on top of what beneficiaries normally receive from the state. Now, it also expands eligibility to self-employed people and independent contractors. 
this was something a bit of contention, and there were some senators like Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott and some others who were concerned about this because basically the way this is laid out, employees could end up doing better by collecting unemployment than they would make going back to work in their former capacities. And so we certainly want to make sure unintended consequences, you always are looking to, to avoid those. And the idea that it could de-incentivize people going back to work has been a concern. And so that's going to be a piece of this thing that we'll be watching in terms of the final bill passage and as well how it actually is executed once this thing is signed and, and we start seeing seeing what it's truly going to look like and the impact it's going to have. A few other things it does is it creates a $500 billion pool of taxpayer money to make loans, loan guarantees, or investments to or in businesses, states, and municipalities damaged by the crisis. $25 billion in grants for the airlines, uh, $4 billion for cargo carriers, that is to be used exclusively to pay employee wages, salaries, and benefits, and then set aside another $25 billion, $4 billion respectively for these two groups for loans and guarantees. There's another $17 billion loans and loan guarantees for unspecified businesses criti critical to maintaining national security. We're putting in $117 billion into hospitals, veterans health care. Uh, there's more money going in to help shore up the strategic national stockpile of pharmaceutical and medical supplies. Uh, $350, $350 billion in loans for small businesses to cover a lot of their expenses. And then um, also there's some tax credits for retaining employees and requiring group health plans and insurance providers to cover preventative services related to the coronavirus without cost sharing. It um, bans companies. These are some good th things that bans companies that take government loans from buying buying back stock until a year after the loan is paid back. It bars employees or executives who made at least $425,000 last year from getting a raise. If you remember back in the Obama years and when we went through all of that actual stimulus package, those kinds of things were happening. Now, in one of the Chuck Schumer just can't help himself to show what a petty, small man he is, there is also a stop President Donald Trump and his family members' businesses from receiving emergency taxpayer relief. The provision also applies to Vice President Mike Pence, heads of executive departments, members of Congress, and their family members. Well, some of that's not so bad. Now, I was looking too bad. I really wanted to see the provision that said that Congress was also going to forego their salaries for the rest of the rest of the of the um, year. And or, you know, they could do like the president and just donate it to a specific part of the government to help keep things going during these tough times. So anyway, that's where that is. That's what we're looking at here. As you can imagine, the response to these things, to this bill, has been kind of all over the board. The Wall Street Journal has an op-ed out this morning that says the high price of coronavirus relief. Subhead, the Fed gets money to save the economy, but Pelosi's price is steep. And it talks on, it starts out saying Congress rarely does anything that isn't messy. So let's stipulate that a $2 trillion bill writ written on the fly in a week will be loaded with waste and a lifetime supply of unintended consequences. Americans will pay for this for decades. And um, they absolutely are right. Uh, they go on to say the virus rescue shouldn't cost this much. The bill includes $250 billion for $1,200 payments to Americans, whether or not they're affected by the virus. The cash will do little or nothing to help an economy closed by government fiat. It also goes on, and they talk about the fact that it, pu it uh, pluses up unemployment insurance beyond 100% of wages, an incentive not to return to work if you're laid off. It goes on, and it talks about that, you know, $150 billion has been put in. Basically, what they, how they characterize it is to pad the mismanaged budgets of state and local governments in Albany, Sacramento, and elsewhere, and with out a shadow of a doubt, that is the truth. Oh, and by the way, of course, there are no strings or oversight. And then, as you probably heard in other places, Na Speaker Nancy Pelosi managed to get her $25 million earmarked for Washington's Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. This was just, again, 
playing games. It's where Congress did what they always do. They used this budget to pack the bill with spending that the members could never get through under a normal budget. And I'm sure over the, over the weeks and months to come, we're going to be hearing and seeing some of these consequences that hopefully we'll see some good things happening. But at the same time, I know there's also going to be some pretty cringy things as well. There is some good news with this bill, though. According to the journal, uh, the bill provides urgent money for medical supplies to hospitals, makes ventilators for virus patients and protection equipment for doctors and nurses, supports researchers looking for new therapies, perhaps a vaccine. These are the things that are a proper role for government given this extraordinary health emergency. The bill also does a lot of of financial-type foundation. It provides crucial liquidity to businesses that have had their revenue reduced or eliminated because of this lockdown. The uh, liquidity crisis is is part of the strategy to reduce the spread of the virus and loss of life, but at the same time, it can lead to things that can cause uh, mass layoffs, credit panics that lead to defaults, bankruptcies, and deflationary spiral. In other words, a depression. And so the bill does several things. It puts some money into the Treasury's Exchange Stabilization Fund, which is believed that that will serve as a backstop uh, to support credit markets and individual companies. Uh, The money that's put into here that will be used by borrowers, they will be loans, not grants, and they will have to be paid back. Now, Democrats in the media have called these all a bailout and slush fund, but a month ago, the economy was strong. And like we were saying before, a lot of these companies were in good health. And so what we have here with this, the good parts of this bill, are that the government is now lending its balance sheet to help prevent the liquidity crisis that could be coming, a banking crisis, and basically protect our American American economic structure. There are some things, and also besides the large companies, small businesses are are being uh, addressed with this. There are going to be $377 billion in loans to the small businesses. And um, so there's a lot, there are some good things in here. And this is just a, a frustrating case of taking the good with the bad. But uh, now it's on its way to the House. We'll see what happens tomorrow. And the president is indicating that he will sign it and be good to go. Now, of course, there's lots of response to this. Andrew Cuomo this morning was saying that, you know, the economic impact of coronavirus is irresponsible and reckless and that the money that he's getting, the $5 billion that New York would receive from the bill, doesn't come close to covering the state's projected revenue shortfall, which could be $15 billion. But, of course, let's remember that this was a one of those poorly managed states to begin with. So, yeah, I'm sure they think they need more money, but they just don't need the American taxpayers' money. Another thing that was kind of uh, frustrating was that the U.S. Department of Energy was planning on buying crude for the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. And they had asked for a certain amount, $3 billion in funding. And that didn't make it into the Senate's version of the bill. And with not getting into the Senate's version, I really wouldn't have a whole lot of thought that it's going to get into anything that uh, Nancy Pelosi gets to have her fingers all over. And Secretary uh, Steve Mnuchin was out making all the rounds this morning. He says that the checks involved with this, this $1,200 check that people will start seeing, that those will be coming within about three weeks. So this thing is, it is going to be moving pretty fast, and we'll see what happens. But besides some of these people, oh, Joe Biden, he's weighing in in his quest to ever so try and make himself seem relevant. And so anyway, he's saying that this uh, bill, it's a plan that lets big corporations off the hook. Bernie couldn't have said it better himself. And he's picking up Nancy Pelosi's verbiage that a $500 billion slush fund for corporations with almost no conditions. And he doesn't do anything to talk about that what happens if these companies can't can't remain solvent during the crisis. But he is supportive of things because things that Nancy Pelosi would like to see put back into this virus are like uh, taking the federal aid would be put under a permanent $15 minimum wage. 
and they also want to see student debt forgiven. And we should forgive a minimum of $10,000 per person of student, federal student loans, which was something that Elizabeth Warren had been pushing. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. And so anyway, you got to wonder, he's trying to make himself look like he's a part in this thing. But rather than echoing, than parroting all these other Bernie's plans, Elizabeth Warren's plans, Nancy Pelosi's words, you wonder if the former vice president has ever thought about putting forward his own vision. Or I guess maybe the bigger question is, does he have a vision? He may be seeing things on a regular basis, but I don't think that necessarily uh, correlates to vision. So he's in here just kind of mouthing, mouthing and doing his thing. And so that's, um, that's kind of frustrating. And again, we'll see how this thing moves forward in the next 48 hours. It sounds like that uh, the president's hoping that for better or worse, they can have it signed and we'll be moving forward. And we'll be following that and keep you updated on that as we go. Another thing that happened this morning that is of significance is we got new unemployment numbers, and they are significant. Let's see. We've got, they came in at 3.28 million filed for unemployment in the last week. That is four times the record for weekly unemployment claims that was set back in October of 1982. These are some pretty serious money that's um, are pretty serious numbers and it's certainly a belief that it's going to be that it's that those numbers are going to be growing now for right now the stock market is kind of taking it in stride because i think that while they don't like change they don't like uncertainty there is just a reality that there is going to be some bad news ahead it doesn't mean it's not reversible but it just means it's coming. And so for right now, it would seem that perhaps the uh, market is is just taking it in stride and, and we'll see where it goes from there. Steve Mnuchin, again, he was making all the rounds this morning, chatting with all, all, the, different, uh, all the different media outlets. And he was on uh, CNBC's Squ- Squawk on the Street. And he, when asked about the numbers, he said that right now they're really not relevant. He said, he doesn't think they're relevant because they're just a snapshot of this particular point in time, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be reflective over the long haul. And so anyway, that's going to be something else that we're looking for. And yeah, like a lot of other things, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But as people do start having some money in their pocket, as companies start having some resources, there, there are good reasons to think that, um, that we can move forward with this. And I'll tell you, I don't have it flagged, but I had come across something earlier today that was interesting, and it was talking about some of the numbers that people have on manufacturing companies have on on their books right now. They have orders. They have they have a need to get people back to work. Now, of course, the president got everybody all bent out of shape um, a few days ago when he talked about possibly trying to get things back to normal uh, by Easter Sunday and getting people back. And so the hair on fire media, of course, reacts to that, that, oh, that's crazy, and it's just going to cause, you know, a whole new wave of pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The The realistic view of that is that 
there are parts of the country that haven't been as impacted by this. And yes, now that everybody kind of has the protocols, now that everyone's attention is largely gotten, we do know things that we need to do in terms of, of adhering to a degree of social distancing, hygiene standards from ourselves personally, as well as in a workplace setting. Once we know of those things, it's not to say that there aren't certain aspects of our economy that are going to, that are, are ready, and it would be appropriate to let them get back to normal activities. You know, we didn't all start staying home on the same day. That was something that was phased in, and it was responded to by local governments, state governments, as conditions warranted. Well, those same conditions, we need to be watching them, and those same conditions in some places may say, we're not that dire. People aren't getting sick. Our people understand the little concept called personal responsibility, and they're willing to do their part, and so let's let them get back to work. I mean, I think that that's where a lot of the American people are, but of course, we've got the other people that um, aren't really too big on that, and in fact, something I meant to tell you guys about last last time we were together that just has really stayed with me is I came across an article in the Washington Examiner by Tom Rogan a few days ago. And, of course, there's been the, the certain criticism of the Trump administration with regard to the tests that first came out and were not effective and, you know, certainly stimulating questions of why weren't we prepared and who, who can we point the finger at there. But Tom Rogan talks about that he's saying that at this very moment there are stockpiles of masks, hand sanitizers, and other supplies sitting in warehouses waiting for FDA inspectors to get around to them. He said that where other nations have expedited getting deliveries to us, that they have shown that that they were trusted suppliers, that the FDA has resorted to what he calls its favorite fetish, which is bureaucratic lethargy. He said that he spoke to one significant medical supplier who talked to him on the condition of anonymity for fear of FDA retaliation. In one location on the Pacific coast, this supplier has had more than 20 pallets of coronavirus-specific medical supplies waiting in a warehouse for five days. Five days. At another depot in south-central U.S., the same supplier has had 500,000 level 3 or level 4 masks sitting in a warehouse for two days now and that they expect the FDA delays to continue indefinitely. As we go through all of this, and I know this, just because you may be paranoid doesn't mean you're wrong, but we go through this, and it certainly has crossed the minds of many of us, that what would the left do? How far would they go to help discredit Trump, to help put a, a bad light on him, on his administration, in hopes of doing something to turn the tide for the for the 2020 election. You can wonder that with the with this bill. Certainly there's the there's the people like Andrew Como who he's out there every morning doing his little hour more uh, news conference, which I think I think someday may really be um, we may look back at at an interesting light because he's getting a platform not unlike what Donald Trump was getting back in 2016. And make no mistake that Andrew Como has his own political aspirations. And there's talk out there that if a brokered convention were to come up, that Como may be the guy who might would be seen as the leader to come in and do that. And so with that, you've got to wonder that perhaps his little daily news conferences aren't an audition to become the Democratic nominee for 2020. But back to this FDA story, we keep talking about the deep state. We keep talking about what we saw in the FBI and the Mueller investigation and the deep state actors there. We've seen them in the State Department. Throughout impeachment, we had different, we had different, um, the National Security Council. There were different places where you were seeing the fingerprints of deep state type actors that were doing things in their own respective ways to help discredit the president and his administration. Reading this, the first thing that it hit me is, the, is that is this more deep state, deep state sabotage? I don't know the answer to that. But for as dire as it is, and I mean, it's, it's, I think any of us who are in a community that is even 
slightly been impacted by this with a number of cases. You have your medical professionals in your community who they may be your friends, your neighbors, the people you go to church with. Those people are sweating it because they don't all have the materials they need. And to think that some bureaucrats are letting this stuff sit in warehouses, that's in ways it's unthinkable. But in the, the days of Trump, sadly, it's not so far-fetched. Well, listen, that's going to do us for this segment. Stay with me. We'll be right back after the break, and we're going to pick up on some other things, including China and the whole idea of the of the virus, what it's doing now, some of the numbers, and some of the really disturbing choices that are having to be made in some of the, our European counterparts, and their choices that likely are coming to our shores as well. So stay with me, and we'll be right back. <laughs> There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm your host, Lou Ann Anderson, and I am so glad that you stuck with us here. Let me also just remind you that as we go through and talk about these different articles and different uh, opinions that people are putting forth, and then I reference them here, I will be posting all of those on our Facebook page. That is That Facebook page is at Political Suits. That's on Facebook, and it's also the same handle that we have on Twitter. Also, in terms of being able to to listen to the show, we're available on most of the popular podcast platforms, which includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Deezer. Also, you got something on your mind, maybe an article, a piece of information you want to share, you got a, a... comment and opinion about something that we've discussed here, let me know. You can reach me at politicalpursuitspod at gmail.com. That's politicalpursuitspod at gmail.com. I can get put things together to do this, and within an hour, it's amazing that things are just moving so fast and they change. And so anyway, just wanted to let you know that the Wall Street Journal and other media are reporting this afternoon that the Trump administration is planning to issue guidelines categorizing counties across the nation as high-risk, medium-risk, or low-risk to help state and local authorities decide whether to boost or relax social distancing measures intended to combat the novel coronavirus, or as we call it, the Chinese Communist Party virus, the CCPV. In a letter to governors on Thursday, the president said that the administration's growing testing capabilities would enable it to publish, in consultation with health, public health officials and scientists, criteria for classifying counties by risks in hope that some parts of the country may soon be able to return to work more so than others. And so that was something that we talked about in the last segment. In the same way that we did not all start staying home on one particular day, that it happened gradually across the country, the return to work is going to be the same, and that's a good thing. So anyway, we look forward to hearing more about about the administration's plans with that. But meanwhile, just wanted to kind of run back through here where we are with some of these numbers in terms of the virus outbreak. At this point... Worldwide, there have been nearly half a million cases, 495,086 cases. Deaths attributed to the virus are at 22,295. Now, in just kind of doing a a hit around, looking at all the different um, other countries, the Swiss coronavirus cases now top 10,000 with 161 deaths. Spain reports over 8,000 new cases, and their death toll is rising. So the numbers of confirmed cases in Spain has risen by 8,578 in the last 24 hours. 
That makes the total number of cases in Spain at 56,188. The death toll rose to 4,089, and that was up from the previous day when it was 3,434. Also, uh, Iran, of course, we don't know exactly what's going on over there, but there are reports that they have started an inner-city travel ban, uh, which is something that Reuters is reporting based on comments from an Iranian official in a televised news conference. The ban comes a day after Iran's spokesman warned the country might face a surge of cases. Officials have been critical of Iran Iranians who have ignored appeals to stay home and cancel travel plans for the, Persian, um, for the Persian New Year holidays that begin on March 20th. As best we know... Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. Iran has recorded 27,017 confirmed cases and reported just over 2,000 deaths. So this thing is moving on, and in the same trajectory that uh, these other countries are having, we're seeing the same thing. Now, in the U.S., it's thought that the rapid increase in the distribution of coronavirus test kits, that that has likely accelerated the pace of reported and confirmed cases. And so we had been warned about that, that we definitely were going to see some spikes once all of these tests got out and we had more people being tested, and that's, that's what's happening. But we're still, also some of the, the people that are tracking this, they say that, that even the, the count, case counts that they're getting, they're not always apples to apples, that they don't know often, they don't always know how, to, uh, how many patients have recovered that there's lags in the reporting of the cases, and that there are some states, counties, that are using different reporting methods. And so still, though, that the researchers say that even incomplete data is critical to current efforts to flatten the curve of the spread of the pandemic. And so that's still what we're looking for. And here in the U.S., uh, our numbers are staggering. We now are at nearly 70,000. Uh, earlier today, it was 69,684. And yesterday, we topped 1,000. The last numbers that I got, we had deaths at um, 1,095 deaths. Now, New York City is certainly being tagged appropriately as the epicenter here with us. And at this point, New York has had 37,259 people test positive. At least 5,300 are currently hospitalized, nearly 1,300 of those in ICU. Another 1,500-plus have been discharged. And so um, there, there, is some, there is some good news in there that we are seeing that there are people that are having it and that are, that are recovering. And also, we don't really have firm numbers on those people that were diagnosed and went home and are getting over it didn't require hospitalization, or um, people who just had such mild cases that maybe they never really even knew. So we've got to just keep, keep our discipline, exercise our own personal responsibility and making sure I can't, you can't necessarily impact what the rest of the world does, but you can police yourself, monitor yourself to do what makes sense, encourage the same of your family and your friends, and hopefully we'll start seeing here in a few weeks, we'll start seeing some of these numbers uh, start to flatten out. But meanwhile, 
New York does have its problems, and California, Gavin Newsom, Gil Garcetti, they are ramping up with some concerns as well because Gil Garcetti believes that California, they're doubling their numbers every every couple of days and that he thinks that they're probably 8 to 12 days behind New York City. So with all of that, it really comes down to the time that you got to wonder what's going to happen with China. Wall Street Journal is also reporting this afternoon that the chill between the U.S. and China over this is definitely hampering, uh, weighing down the, the trade talks that have been going on. President Trump and President Xi reportedly have not even had a phone conversation since early February, although Xi has been calling all over all over Europe trying to, to make, make nice with some of these people. Uh, Epoch Times, a gal named Diana Zong had an interesting column the other day. She talked about how the time has come to remove the cancer of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. The spread of the CCP virus around the world shows us how dangerous it is. It's contagious, it's invisible, it's deadly, it's a threat to everyone on the planet. She goes on and talks about kind of the history of, of China. When the Great Leap Forward happened and millions were killed, we thought it was a China issue. When the Great Famine happened and 40 million people starved to death, it was a remote problem. This is kind of from the U.S. perspective. When the Tiananmen Square massacre happened, we continued to do business with the Chinese Communist Party. When the persecution of the spiritual practice Falun Gong happened, we tried to please the Communist Party by looking away. She goes on that in some ways the CCP has changed. It actually has grown. It has slicker packaging and understands the West better, so it can do a better job of taking advantage of the West. Its propaganda always uses the United States as a negative example, telling the Chinese people that the CCP is better. But in many ways, the CCP has never changed. Its nature is what's never changed. During the Great Famine, CCP officials blockaded many villages, not allowing people to go out to even beg for food. It was more important to hide the truth. Sixty years later, when the coronavirus spread, some villages were sealed off. Homes were locked from the outside. Children starved to death. The CCP says there have been 3,259 deaths from the virus, but this doesn't match with what is actually being seen in China on the ground. There are cremation centers in Wuhan that were operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Outside some of the villages, bodies were burned in open-air pits. Forty mobile furnaces were shipped to Wuhan. Each one of those can burn, think about this, five tons of medical waste and dead animal bodies, animal or human, each day, five tons. And they sent 40 of these things there, and they were going round the clock for days on end. Insiders say the death toll from the CCP virus has surpassed a million. We have no way to prove or disprove that numbers. But you may remember if you listened to our first podcast that came out Monday, we did a real interesting story that was talking about somehow in the last few weeks, 20 million cell phone accounts have been shut down in China. 20 million have been shut down. And understand, the Chinese government mandates that every citizen, every resident, has one of those phones, and through it, they use it as a tracking device to keep track of where the people are. Additionally, they use it uh, to report behavior and in order to access things like government pensions, health care services. They're tracking all sorts of information and the whereabouts of these people. And so they closed down 20 million accounts within a course of four to six weeks. Why don't if those accounts existed to begin with, why aren't they still needed now? It makes you wonder. With the, with the CCP, we now know they've concealed information. They unleashed this virus on us that is just devastating the world. So now we have become the victims as the virus has crossed the borders. And the question becomes, should we continue to deal with the CCP like we are dealing with a group of gentlemen? We have lost our manufacturing jobs. We've lost our intellectual property. Now, are we going to lose our family members and maybe our own lives? When a cancer continues, continues to grow, what is the end result? She concludes saying that, you know, we are a strong company. However, when good cells fight off cancer, it's a life and death struggle. And if we don't see this clearly, if we don't take out the CCP as soon as possible, a more deadly virus might come. This CCP virus should be lessened enough for us, eliminating 
this virus doesn't require World War III. If we cut our ties to it, it will starve to death quickly, like a cancer separated from its host. And again, that's Diana Zong writing for the Epic Times, and I'll put that up on our Facebook page. The consequences of this virus are becoming even more and more evident. In Italy, they've got some good news in that they've now had four days of lower infection rates and deaths since March 21st, so that's a good thing. But it doesn't mean that they haven't had some very, very difficult things. China and South Korea are supposedly seeing similar type things. And it's important that we watch these trends because uh, Gavin Newsom says that that 56 percent of Californians could get the disease. Andrew Como says it could hit as many as 80 percent of New Yorkers. So there are very serious implications. The U.S. is thought to be about 10 days behind Italy, and Italy leads the case or leads the world now in deaths. We certainly are hoping that there could be a light at the end of the tunnel, but that light's going to shine shine on some really, really sad situations. The Blaze is reporting how a doctor in Italy that he says that he and other physicians are no longer permitted to put coronavirus patients who are over 60 on ventilators. They're quoting uh, some information out of the Jerusalem Post and that um, they basically are saying that from what he sees and hears in the hospital, the instructions are not to offer access to artificial respiratory machines to patients over 60 as such machines are limited in number. There's some video that's been circulated around that is showing these types of things. It's a massive strain for every health system. We see every day 50 to 60 patients who come to our emergency department with pneumonia, and most of them are so severe they need very high volumes of oxygen. And so we had to reorganize our emergency room and our hospital, three levels of intensive care. And they go on, they said, we've saturated our bed availability. We're really in trouble. We have to send patients away to other hospitals. All the intensive care units in the regions are full. So actually, this is a big problem. The situation is really dramatic. The mood is really depressing. Relatives can't stay with patients during their admission. And some others die without anyone around. It's also forbidden to have funerals. So even the last prayer can't be done properly. And this isn't just an Italy problem. Just this morning... The Washington Post had an article talking about this, as also did the L.A. Times. L.A. Times is headlined, Who Lives and Who Dies? With ventilators limited among, amid coronavirus doctors, doctors may face hard choices. It's a choice most doctors never thought they would have to make, who, make, who lives and who dies. But such decisions in the upcoming weeks as this virus begins to surge, they're going to be inevitable. The coronavirus will attack so many people's lungs that thousands could show up at hospitals gasping for air and will need to be hooked up to machines that breathe for them. But there won't be enough ventilators for everyone, forcing doctors to make impossible calls about which lives you save. Dr. Colwell, who's the chief of emergency medicine at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, says you have an 80-year-old and a 20-year-old, both need a vent, and you only have one. What do you do? This is something, and I mean, it's certainly New York is going to be the first place where this is going to be a problem. Andrew Como has talked about how, well, we need everything here, and then as we get control of it, we can move the ventilators to other parts of the country as their surges happen. And yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, very, good, that's a very good plan. But meanwhile, these choices are going to have to happen, and sometimes it's not going to be days for us to be getting machines r- moved around. Another infectious disease doctor there in L.A. said it could be catastrophic. Doctors will have to resort to a wartime-like triage to determine who to put on ventilators and whom to turn away. I'm going to put this article up on our Facebook page and let you read through it. It's disturbing, but it's, it's what could be coming our way. Although, I do also, before we go to the break, want to real quick share one more thing. The idea that we could have to make those kinds of decisions definitely is tough. But at the same time, we can't lose sight of the fact that just like a few weeks ago, our biggest problem was we had no tests and we had no hope for any kind of treatment, much less any kind of cure. And now the testing is getting under control and we have these drugs that are being used to try and see if they can be effective treatments. And there is at least anecdotal information out there that suggests they can same thing happening within the private industry. You have these companies that are getting ready. They're trying to change over some of these ventilators from 
anesthesia-type ventilators to what people need in, in this type of respiratory application. You have different companies that are getting involved, uh, some like med tech companies part partnering with people like, like G GM and Ford in order to try and turn out more of these ventilators. And I came across an article at um, MIT Technology Review that's talking about an open source ventilator design has been submitted for fast track approval. And that this is an open source design that MIT researchers have, have developed for a low cost respirator that could potentially help patients struggling with the critical respiratory problems. And it goes through and it describes this. And a lot of those, those machines cost like $50,000 or so and they're a very complex machine. And with that, their manufacturing has complexities to it. But this group of students has come up with this and it could be something that could, the group estimated it would cost about $100. I mean, you think about that, $100. And I think that they also are looking at it as it could have applications for use at home as well as in a hospital. Think about if we had that type of capabilities so we don't have to have people in the hospitals or we could have hospitals retrofitted not to be quite the, Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. The complex entity, facility that, that they are now. So this is another exciting thing that I just did want to share with you. But meanwhile, I've gone longer than I should have. Let's take another break, and then we'll come back and wrap some things up. I got some... Something funny to share with you from uh, John Cleese. You remember him, Monty Python, Faulty Towers. It's a pretty fun piece. So stick with me. This is Political Pursuits. I'm Lou Ann Anderson. See you soon. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters. And welcome back to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm your host, Lou Ann Anderson, and thank you for sticking with us. We're going to do just a little short segment here and wrap up with a couple of things. One of the things I found interesting over these weeks, and as we've seen our daily lives right now have some pretty dramatic changes, there's a lot of talk about, well, what's, gonna li what's life going to look like after this? Because there's always going to be concerns, or certainly in the short term, of the virus coming back. We found out some definite disadvantages and downsides that um, happen in our society and things that we need to rectify. But we've also discovered some things that provide a lot of opportunity. So um, I've read a number of these different kinds of articles of different people talking about this. But I thought that Ben Dominich, who's one of the founders, uh, co-founders of The Federalist, that I thought he had a pretty good column that put together his own perspective plus a lot of other people. And just incidentally, I don't know if you're Ben Dominic, you see him sometimes on Fox News on the deal with Brett Baer, but he's married to Meghan McCain, and they just recently announced that they were having a baby, so best of luck to them on that. Dominic is a bit of a never-Trumper, gosh, that he's married to Meghan, that certainly all fits, but we do wish him well with that. But this article, predictions, what will America look like after the Wuhan coronavirus? What will be the long-term impact of the virus on the economy, higher education, homeschooling, jobs, Congress, and American politics as we know it? Because every one of those aspects and probably a few things that we aren't even anticipating will likely be addressed in a different way. 
first off, it's going to be kind of a matter of we're going to have to say that we've got to stipulate that the worst case scenario is being entertained in many corners of media and outline the truly dire outcome probably aren't what they're going to be. That can be taken to mean the death count is not measured in millions here. The American response, while slow at first, is going to gain momentum and promising antiviral treatments some like are being used in some of the other countries will be implemented. And we will find out probably in our society that most suburban and rural people who do not live in large cities, who don't live in those dense type population centers, are in less danger than the European estimates suggest. So there's some good news in there in that these models that we're seeing, they suggest probably more dire consequences because the living conditions in those countries are different from what a lot of us here in America. But it doesn't mean that all of these things aren't going to impact aspects of our life. One of the things that's been brought up is the death of college, as we know it, is likely to be happening. What parent, even one with steady work throughout the next three months, would be willing to plunk down a vast sum of cash after such an uncertain time given the damage to their portfolio and their livelihood? So maybe it's time for your kiddo to take that gap year until we see what's going on. You know, let them take online classes or, you know, just kind of hang out, make up with some time for their friends. Because who wants their kid on a physical campus in an environment surrounded by disease in the fall if this thing should happen to come back? And so that's going to create some major, major problems for higher ed, especially the overpriced middle tier of non-state schools. They will seek a bailout, which Congress should deny and which most Americans will oppose, given their long burgeoning resentment at the cost of a middling education. Schools that didn't sufficiently invest in online learning, they're going to get burned. Another thing that they're predicting is that in-person events, it's going to take a while for them to come back, that people are going to be more, more hesitant to gather in groups, although there is the thought that there could be one subtle rebellion in which you're going to see people that aren't that, and that could be revolt from more religious-type people. Being confined to their homes is a very new for the, our Christian population. You know, they're one of the few remaining groups of people that consistently see each other every week of the year and have a rhythm that's built into their, into their lives, into their fellowship. Dominich talks about the outrage that he's personally heard expressed by many California Christian friends that this coming Holy Week will be held via video streaming. And he said that that's been louder of the, the resentment and the ire that he's heard of that more so even than the cancellation of March Madness. That's kind of something that will be interesting, interesting to watch. Uh, what happens with restaurants? That's going to be, that's going to be something to be seen. Certainly, kudos to the restaurants who have been able to, you know, either were prepared or have quickly been able to transition to carry out and delivery using the apps and things like that. I mean, there's just technology that makes it more simple for your average restaurant to do this. Certainly it wasn't there 10 years ago, but even five years ago, it wouldn't be as easy. Gyms, that's going to be something interesting to watch because while there's going to be a desire to a large degree that people, I know many of us are worried about the pounds we're putting on while we're staying here at home and we got time to cook and we're doing it. Gyms are going to be interesting to see what happens. Is this going to fuel more the growth of companies like Peloton and the online type things or are people going to jump back in and start going back to your local Planet Fitness or whatever the gym is? In terms of politics, it's going to be some interesting things. One of the things that scares me is that I'm afraid this is going to already fund um, or fuel the, the move toward mail-in voting and things like that, which is just a recipe for election, election fraud. And so that's going to be something that's going to be interesting. And also, we've talked about for... Um, Populist and nationalists, they've always been accused of liking to be isolationist. But I think in the future, the idea that the Chinese say it's racist to talk about making your pharmaceuticals elsewhere just isn't going to hold much water. And that 
an escalated trade war with China and a pullback of essential products to allied countries will help America accelerate. Immigration. Boy, that's always been a big deal. And here, you know, we've got Joe Biden out there who is advocating that he's pro-refugee, pro-immigrant. It will be interesting to see if there is a need to start changing that because not only Andrew Como has talked about how, well, the reason New York has so many people is because they welcome people from all over the country, all over the world. Yeah, they do. And boy, how's that working for you? I think we could see that same, those same questions being asked with regard to our, our federal policy with, in terms of who gets to come here and also where we are willing to travel because at this point the state department has told americans not to travel abroad <laughs> at least if you're planning on returning home and they have issued the highest ranking that they've ever had in our entire history what happens with there is going to be kind of interesting to see and then we're also medicare for all boy we're seeing all these countries like Italy who have socialized medicine and we're seeing how that's coming out working for them. So when Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and the rest of that crowd wants to tout that Medicare for all is the way to go, uh, that may not be something that Americans are quite so apt to be buying, even though a few months ago some thought that it might have some merit. So there's just a number, number, number of things. Ah, something too. We have seen with the FDA and with some of these other agencies, we've seen government release or lift some of these regulations, some of these onerous bureaucratic nonsense things that have to be gone, boxes that have to be checked in order to get things to happen. I mean, we certainly have seen this in, you know, idea of a lot of healthcare issues with getting tests, with getting equipment and supplies to people. And so you really kind of wonder that a lot of these things that have been done just kind of as current concessions to help us get through this, that some of those things are going to become normal. Same can be said for telemedicine, that while there has been in some quarters a push for that, in other quarters, oh, people are kind of hesitant about it. I think we are going to be seeing as a result of this that there are certain cases in which telemedicine can perform a vital, vital, important need for the people. Oh, and one other thing that they just kind of ask, it's like in the new reality, it's going to lead people to question why we ever had laws against alcohol delivery. That is something that has definitely has been lifted and with good reason and so yeah I think that's another one of those genies that's not going to go back into the into the bottle so uh this is inter again interesting article from the Federalist and I'll post it up on our Facebook page and with that I got one last little thing a dear dear friend sent this to me yesterday and it just it made me laugh and I just thought I would share it with y'all this is an update on COVID-19 from Monty Python's John Cleese and he says that the English are feeling the pinch in relation to recent virus threat and have therefore raised their security level from miffed to peeved. Soon, though, security levels may be raised yet again to irritated or even a bit cross. The English have not been a bit cross since the Blitz in 1940 when tea supplies nearly ran out. Terrorists have been recategorized from tiresome to a bloody nuisance. The last time the British issued a bloody nu nuisance warning level was in 1588 when threatened by the Spanish Armada. And then we have the Scots. They've raised their threat level from pissed off to let's get the bastards. They don't have any other levels. This is the reason they have been used on the front line of the British Army for the last 300 years. And the French. The French government announced yesterday that it has raised its terror alert level from run to hide. The only two higher levels in France are collaborate and surrender. The rise was precipitated by a recent fire that destroyed France's white flag factory, effectively paralyzing the country's military capability. And Italy, they have increased the alert level from shout loudly and excitedly to elaborate military posturing. Two more levels remain, ineffective combat operations and change sides. The Germans have increased their alert state from disdainful arrogance to dress in uniform and sing marching songs. They also have two higher levels, invade a neighbor and lose. 
Belgians, on the other hand, are all on holiday as usual. The only threat they are worried about is NATO pulling out of Brussels. The Spanish are all excited to see their new submarines ready to deploy. These beautifully designed subs have glass bottoms so the new Spanish Navy can get a really good look at the old Spanish Navy. Australia, meanwhile, has raised its security level from no worries to she'll be all right, mate. Two more escalation levels remain. Crikey, I think I'll need to cancel the Barbie this weekend. And the Barbie is canceled. So far, no situation has ever warranted use of the last final escalation level. A final thought, Greece is collapsing, the Iranians are getting aggressive, and Rome is in disarray. Welcome back to 430 B.C. And with that, thank you, thank you again for sticking with us here at Political Pursuits, the podcast. I look forward to seeing you next time. This is Lou Ann Anderson. And please, I would just say that we want certainly say our keep our country in our prayers. May God look after our country, our world, and watch over President Trump. Look out for your family, your friends, your neighbors. Help somebody even that you don't know. To all of you, please stay safe, stay smart. And with that, I look forward to seeing you here next time on Political Pursuits Podcast. <laughs>